Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Please join in the words for lighting the chalice. They are in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the energy of action as we gather together in the circle of community. Now please take a deep breath. Try to get your body as still and as quiet as you can. And listen to this sound as it rings in the silence. Be patient and listen carefully. The sound will start strong, but chase it with your ears as it fades. Hold on to this moment of stillness as long as you can. Take a deep breath and listen. The cold has come. I assume you have felt it this past week. Those brisk, almost bitter winds that leave our cheeks stinging and our fingers almost numb. And with the cold has come the darkness. We're slowly making our way to the shortest, darkest day of the year when light lasts but a little while and evening extends its reach. But the cold and the dark bring opportunity. Sledding, if we get a good snow, hot chocolate, warm mittens, sweaters, and firesides, and huddling together for warmth. I think perhaps the snuggliest snuggles happen in the winter. This season also brings us an opportunity to practice patience as we wait for the light to return, attention as we look closely to find all that is beautiful about the dark, Care as we work to ensure that all of us find comfort in this season. This is the season of Advent, of waiting and anticipation. This is the season when we can practice what it means to wait with intention and purpose. Together, as we sink deeper into the winter, we gather to honor the values inherent in this special time of year. Welcome to this place of warmth and light and care and patience. Each um, Sunday that we gather, we take time in our service to come together in reflection, meditation, prayer, each using the silence and the stillness in ways that are most meaningful to us. Today, as we come into this special time together, I want to ask you to take a moment with me to remember that yesterday was World AIDS Day, a day created 30 years ago to raise awareness, to support those living with AIDS, and to commemorate those who have died of AIDS-related illnesses. For so many, especially those in the LGBTQ community, and for so long, the silence and stigma around AIDS and the prejudices against LGBTQ folks meant that advances in care and treatment were painfully slow, and there were so many needless deaths. 
So this morning, we're going to light a candle to remember those millions who have died these last decades. And as I light the candle, I invite you to speak aloud the names of any loved ones lost to or affected by HIV-AIDS. We also light the candle to remind ourselves that when fear rules, there is a real and heartbreaking human cost. And to commit ourselves to helping end the kinds of prejudices that take lives. Please take a deep, slow breath. Let your body relax into this moment. Try to still your mind. In our own lives and all across the world, people are waiting, breathlessly, achingly, despairingly, and joyfully waiting for change, for hope, for joy, for love, for peace. In our own lives and all across the world, the patient and impatient alike are trying to live each day as best they can. The winter brings with it quiet, stillness, a seeming barrenness. As the year ends, we in all our flawed glory try to embrace this time, even as we await the spring. This morning, we honor all of us who wait. However we wait, whatever we are waiting for. In the silence, as we breathe deeply and slowly, we each reflect on those things for which we have a deep longing. Breathe and let your heart yearn. As many of you know, I've got three and a half year old twins. And lately they have been, to put it kindly, difficult at bedtime. Last night, after I sent them to bed, one of them was shouting for his grandmother, and I called back, just be patient, please. And I was struck by my own use of the word just. Just be patient, as if patience were actually easy. Any of us who've ever waited for anything know waiting isn't actually easy. It isn't just. It is wearying and sometimes painful. Waiting is not something we instinctively know how to do. Just ask any child. And waiting can look so different. Waiting can be patient or impatient, passive or active, life-giving or soul-draining. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, if you count by traditional religious methods. If you count by a modern chocolate Advent calendar, as is my preference, it began yesterday. These are the last days in the lead-up to Christmas Day, that day that we mark as the birth of a baby named Jesus. I love Advent, though I don't consider myself a Christian particularly. The story of Jesus feels important and relevant to me, I consider his life and words an example, among others, of how best to live our lives. But I don't orient my life around Jesus, and I don't understand his living and dying as salvific. A prophet, yes. A teacher, yes. Among the most moral, yes. But Christ meaning Messiah or Savior, for me, no. But I truly believe that Advent has a message for even us non-Christian Unitarian Universalists. 
who claim to find truth in many different places and ways. And so I love the story of this time of year. But I love where it actually begins long before the first window is opened on an advent calendar. It begins with the story, improbable though of course it is, of a young maid becoming pregnant by God. The Annunciation is that moment told in Luke when an angel, Gabriel, is sent by God to see Mary. He comes into where she is and offers her greetings, and then the story tells us she's perplexed, and he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So imagine for a minute that you are that perplexed girl, and that's how the angel follows, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, you're going to get pregnant by God. (laughs) Mary responds, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary again speaks, and she says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel disappears. On its face, it's a kind of simple story. Angel visits girl, tells her God will get her pregnant. Girl gets confused, but ultimately agrees. Angel disappears. (laughs) But when you try to put feelings and detail into that story, it's actually pretty complicated. Why does Mary agree? She knows that unwed motherhood in her historical context is not going to be seen as a gift. And why was she really chosen? What did she feel like in that moment? Did she want to scream in fear? Was she proud that she had been chosen? The story goes on to tell us that she tells Joseph, and at first he decides to denounce her, But then he receives his own heaven-sent visit in a dream and determines to stick by her. But go back for a second and imagine, if you will, that conversation between her and Joseph. Just try for a minute. She has to tell her fiancé she's been impregnated by God. (laughs) Joseph must have gone through the emotional ringer. And what about Gabriel and the God he represented? What does God do and feel once Mary agrees and the deed is done? Is Gabriel pleased with his own work? Does he worry about Mary? Does he watch over her? Because this is the thing. Advent sort of starts all the way back at that Annunciation, but then there's a heck of a lot of time, nine months, give or take. And we learn that Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, and we learn that Mary sings a song of praise to God. And then other than that, we get nothing until the decree goes up from the emperor that everyone needs to be registered. And then we begin the last days that lead up to Jesus' birth. We go from implantation, as it were, to birth in just a few short chapters. What do they do for all that time? They wait. They just wait. All of us have had to wait at one time or another in our lives. They wait in simple moments, ones we can imagine if we try, but simple moments that don't rise to the level of needing to be captured in Scripture. Moments still that may well have changed lives. 
the townspeople wondering and gossiping about what had happened and how, and making who knows what kind of assumptions about Mary, maybe some being convinced that indeed a miracle had taken place. And you can imagine maybe Joseph the carpenter worried about building a crib or a box for the baby to sleep in when it arrives, Mary fretting about what childbirth will be like, maybe consulting with Elizabeth once Elizabeth's baby has been born. All the normal fears and preparations and worries and the feeling that the waiting is endless. And maybe we can imagine the God of the story waiting too. After God has commanded this thing to occur, but then has to operate on human time. Waiting with knowledge, but also excitement. Just waiting. We started our advent calendars at home yesterday, and the twins were ready to open every single door right away. We actually had to take them and hide them <laughs> so they wouldn't do it. Advent calendars are something of a countercultural lesson in waiting and in patience, in not rushing ahead to the end as we so often do in our modern world. But advent calendars, the semi-secular kind that start December 1st and end on Christmas Day, are born from, in some senses, advent wreaths. Did anybody have these in their tradition growing up, an advent wreath? Some of you. They're circles of evergreen boughs, and they usually have four candles around the circle, sometimes with a fifth in the center. You light one on each of the four Sundays before Christmas Day. The Advent wreath as a concept has been around since the 16th century when it was used in German Lutheran contexts, but it only became popular in the 19th century. A German pastor and missionary who worked with the urban poor is credited with popularizing it. Johann Hinrich Wickern founded a school in Hamburg. The children would ask every day if it was Christmas yet. And so in 1839, evidently, he built a large wooden ring and put 20 small red candles with then 40 four, sorry, 40 would be a lot, four large white candles interspersed. And he would light one of the small candles each weekday and Saturday, and then the big white candle on Sundays. Over time, the wreath was pared down to just those four large candles, each one of which is associated with a specific virtue. The first week symbolizes hope. The second, peace, the third, joy, and the fourth, love. Those can vary depending on tradition, but we're going to work with those this morning. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Those are the virtues that an Advent wreath lifts up, and undergirding all of them is patient waiting. The lessons of this time are lessons in waiting patiently with hope, peace, love, and joy front and center, and that's a lesson deeply embedded in the story, a lesson that is of value to all of us. Whenever I think about Mary answering that angelic messenger, I think that she must have had a lot of hope in her heart, hope that the message was real and that she would bring into this world a being of goodness and light, hope that her friends and family and fiancé would be understanding, hope that she was making the right choice, she says yes, and then she waits, and I expect that she leaned into that hope as much as possible during those nine months. I would think it was that hope that made it bearable. Whenever I think about Joseph changing his mind and deciding to stick by Mary, I think he must have had a lot of love in his heart. The angel that visits him in his dream tells him not to be afraid. And I've heard it said that courage is not the thing that overcomes fear, but love is what overcomes fear. 
Joseph must have had enough love in him to embrace Mary despite this strange tale, enough love to embrace this child that was not biologically his. And as he waited and watched Mary's belly grow, it strikes me that his love must also have grown. Whenever I think about the God of this story, I think that God must have felt at peace with God's own workings. God had put in motion a plan, and that plan was working. Mary, the chosen one, had accepted. Joseph had listened and stayed. Everything was proceeding as it was meant to. God must have felt utterly pleased with God's self. And having, according to story, both created humanity and cursed it with childbirth, God must have been peacefully awaiting the arrival of this child. God, in this story, knew what would come to pass, so could wait with calm and peace. Whenever I think about the rest of the folks in the story, all the family and townspeople and the characters we hear nothing about, I think that they, as many of us do, must have been filled with joy at the prospect of new life. However that life was arriving, whatever story began it, all those who were waiting for this new baby's arrival must have been waiting with some trepidation, but also great joy. That's the piece that makes the waiting bearable for most of us, the expected joy that will happen when the waiting is done. When we wait, we can wait restlessly, impatiently, or we can wait with hope and love and peace and joy. We can wait with purpose and patience, aware that our patient, purposeful waiting might be the thing that changes someone else's life or our own. Our first reading from the taxicab driver encouraged us to do just that, to slow down, be more patient, because we never know what might come of it. Our second reading encouraged us to consider what the substance of our purposeful slowing down and waiting might be. Are we waiting not for salvation from afar, but waiting with mindful action and care so that we can help create what we are waiting for? Mary, Joseph, and God in the story are all active participants who choose a course. They work to make their future possible. No one is presented in this story as thoughtlessly passive because waiting at its best isn't passive. Waiting at its best isn't impatient. It isn't soul-draining. Waiting, if we can learn to do it well, can be filled with all of those virtues. That's the heart of why I think Advent is relevant to all of us, even the non-Christians. None of us were born knowing how to wait, and like any other skill, it requires practice. Here we have, built in each year, a reminder and an opportunity. Instead of rushing ahead and wishing the holidays were just over, we can savor this time to be together and engage in a little mystery and magic. Instead of wishing that winter would end, we can remember all that is wondrous and amazing about this time. Instead of opening every window at once, we can experience the thrill of knowing there's another one tomorrow, though there won't be another tomorrow forever. Instead of scoffing at stories of virgins getting pregnant, we can hold on to the inherent truths that speak to what is possible when we move through the world focused on hope and peace and joy and love. That is my wish for all of us this Advent season, that we embrace this chance to slow down, that we sink deep into our relationships, into the darkness and the wonder, into the 
pregnant possibilities of this moment into the truth of story and into the magic of Christmas. May it be so for each and every one of us. Please remain standing and join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. They're printed in your order of service, and I'm going to encourage you to look, even if you know them by heart, because we are testing out a slight adjustment to correct a grammatical challenge and to make the words more positive. So take a look. You can always give me feedback later. We extinguish this flame, but may the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the energy of until we are together again. May these coming weeks bring you opportunities for waiting, and may you meet those opportunities with purpose. Go with hope, go in peace, go with joy, and go knowing you are loved.